good to see you. Uh, why don't we pray, and then we'll, we'll get right into today's uh, talk this morning. Father, we just thank you so much. Oh, the songs that we were singing this morning. It just echoes loudly who you are. That who we are in you and what all the, just the amazing, amazing benefits that we have from being in Christ Jesus. That we live and move and have our being in you. That the battles that we face, the struggles that we face in this life, God, you are with us in each and every circumstance and situation we face that we go through. You're there. We thank you. Your eye is upon us. We thank you for that, Lord. And for that, Lord, we say you are worthy. You're worthy of all our praise. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and, and Lord, we want to focus on you. I thank you for this series that we are diving into about the feasts of Israel and how ultimately, Jesus, you're the star, you're the main, you're the focus of them all. It's true. God, help us to glean from what we hear this morning, that our hearts, that our minds, that our our spirits would come alive in a new way. That we would have shalom, peace in our whole being. It's only possible through your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. So I ask, Lord, Holy Spirit, come. Fill us now. Help us to engage with what you are saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Last week, we began a new sermon series. It's a very different type of series that we do here at Trinity. It's more of a teaching series. Uh, And it's called the uh, Meeting Jesus at the Feast. And it's a seven-week series. And the reason why we're doing this series is because it's in the Bible. But here's the thing. A lot of churches, a lot of Christians, we don't have... Like a strong understanding of the feasts, the feasts of Israel. It's a big part of Israel's identity, who they are. It's such a massive part of who they are. They still observe these feasts today, but we don't tend to look at them too much. And some might say, well, it's in the Old Testament, so it's just a Jewish thing. Just they do those things, right? But how many of you know that the Word of God, God's Word, starts in Genesis and not in Matthew? Right? It's the Word of God. Now, I understand covenants. We're in a new covenant in Jesus Christ. Shed, you know, through his blood that was shed for us, there's a new covenant now. And the old covenant, well, it's, it's, it's old. But there's so much in the Old Testament that we can learn and glean from and, and to you know, reconnect with the Hebrew roots of our faith. And when we do that, the Word of God comes alive like in a greater way than you've ever known before, when you look at the Hebrew roots as to why Jesus said some of the things that he said and why did he do some of the things that he did. When we understand the Hebrew roots, that's why I love the Old Testament. I love reading the Old Testament and getting to know the, the Hebrew, the Jewish culture. It makes the Word of God come alive. Now, I'm sure there are some of you here who've visited the Holy Land, Israel. How many of you have been there? I've actually been to Israel. Right? How many of you would love to go there? I mean, oh man. Lord, 
we would all love to go there. Help us to find a way to get there, you know. Wouldn't it be great if we did a, like a Trinity-wide field trip to the Holy Land? Oh, man, that'd be amazing. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's a dream of mine to go for sure. But for those of you who have been there, I'm sure you can, you know, relate to this. Like when you're, I could only imagine, but if you're actually standing, if you're actually in Jerusalem, and you're walking down the streets, you're like, you know, Jesus was here. He was actually walking on this, in this area. And you visit the different sites and you're like, wow. The Bible would come alive to you like, like nothing else. I'm sure you would say that, those of you who have been there. Well, when we dive into, when we have a deeper understanding of the Hebrew roots of our faith, and in particular for this series, the, the Feasts of Israel, when we have a deeper understanding of the feasts, in a similar way, the Word of God will come alive to you like never before. That is what a deeper under the understanding of the feast will do. And so uh, I'm excited to go on this journey with you. Six more weeks. Last week was the first uh, sermon of this series. There's six more, and uh, it's going to be great. Now, from the start, though, I want to say this. I, wanna, I think this is very important to mention, that as Christians, I want to make this clear, we are not teaching, I'm not teaching this series because I want to tell you that we must observe the feasts, okay? It's not what we're saying. We're not saved based on the observance of feasts. If we observe a certain day, that doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. I mean, suppose somebody were to come to church on Good Friday, would that make them a follower of Jesus just by being at a church on Good Friday, by observing Good Friday? No, it, it doesn't. It's not about the day. It's about the person of the day. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. Call, like, he, he is our Lord and Savior. That's what it's all about. It's not the day. In fact, Colossians 2, 16 to 17 says this, Therefore, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Isn't that interesting? Paul says that in Colossians and he's saying, look, the feasts, the festivals, all these things that the Jewish people observe, the Sabbath, all these things, They point to someone. They point to Christ. That's what it's all about. They ultimately point to Jesus, and that's what this series is all about. So with that said, we're not saying that you must observe the feasts, but we are saying it's important for us to know what they're about. And I also might suggest that as Christians, we could We could observe them. We don't have to, but we could. And I might even suggest that it might even be good. But definitely not something we should or must do. And I'll unpack why it would be good to just look at the feasts of Israel in light of how they're fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So last week, Wayne did an amazing job setting up this series, talking about Passover. 
for those of you who weren't here, I want to encourage you. It's on the podcast, on the website. Uh, very thorough. Um, you did a great job. And um, Passover is the first feast that's instituted by God in the Bible. And the Jewish people have been celebrating Passover for thousands of years. I mean, for a long time, dating back to the first time uh, when the Israelites were set free from Egyptian bondage. That's when they celebrated the first Passover. Now, scholars debate on when that was exactly, uh, whether you follow the biblical timeline or you know, looking at archaeological digs and so on. And so there's kind of a discrepancy. But in, you know, generally speaking, it was about 1400, 1440 B.C. was that time when they had their first Passover celebration. So it was a long time ago. It's an ancient, ancient uh, feast, ancient, ancient thing. And uh, <clears throat> today, the Jewish people, they, they continue to celebrate Passover. Um, and they have what is called the Passover Seder, which uh, Wayne went into detail about last week. And uh, actually, Passover just, just passed. We just passed Passover. Uh, it happened to fall on the same time as Good Friday. So the Jewish people today, you know, modern day, they celebrated uh, Passover on so the evening of Good Friday, April 19th. And then, you know, that whole feast, it rolls into unleavened bread. Uh, it went for eight days, ending on Saturday, April 27th. And again, the reason why they celebrate Passover for eight days is because Passover and what we're going to be talking about today, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, are connected. They're actually joined together. It's like two in one, rolling two feasts in one. Passover starts, it's just one day, Friday to Saturday, evening to evening. And then the rest, remaining seven days, is unleavened bread. <clears throat> and so in the scriptures, when it talks about Jesus observing the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's talking about both Passover and unleavened bread because the two are connected. Now back to the feast. So Wayne began this, his sermon with this diagram. Um, I, love, I love how, you know, concise, like how it puts it all together in a picture. You know, I learned through visual, and so this is a great way to look at it. Um, these are the seven feasts outlined in the scriptures. And these seven feasts were divided into two seasons. The first four are uh, in springtime, and they're called the spring feasts. It begins with Passover, then unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. The next season is the fall season, and, um, you know, these are called the fall feasts, and, and they are feasts of trumpets, the day of atonement, and feast of tabernacles. And the Jewish people, to this day, keep all these feasts. They observe all of them. And again, the reason why they do this is because it's in the Bible. So let's look at Leviticus 23, verse 1, what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Now, to get a better understanding of what this verse is saying, again, it's important to know the Hebrew roots of our faith, right? And so I want to show you two Hebrew words, the two words in this passage from the Hebrew to kind of make the word come alive a bit more, okay? And so the first Hebrew word is, is the word for appointed feasts. Now in the English, those are two words, appointed feasts. 
In Hebrew, it's one word, and that word is moed. Everyone say moed. Okay, moed. Moed, like many ancient words, has a wide range of meanings. And one of the meanings is holiday or set holiday. It's like Christmas, December 25th. It's set. It's in the calendar. We know what it's about. We know it's coming up or how far away it's going to be. And then as we get closer to that day, we, we're in, in anticipation of it. Right? December 25th, we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe we have some traditions surrounding that where we get together with the family. We tell the story from Matthew chapter 2, Luke chapter 1 and 2. We go through that, the whole birth narrative uh, in, the New, in the New Testament. We teach our kids, we teach our family members, and we observe it. Why? Because so that we would remember what December 25th is all about, what Christmas is all about. It's about the birth of our Savior. It's a set time. It's an appointed time. Right? So the Jewish feasts are a set time. They're appointed times where the people of God, they have it in their calendars and they commemorate something that God has done. And they do this every single year. Now the next word that I want to look at in the Hebrew is the word for convocation, which is this word. It's the word mikra. I mean, here you say mikra. Okay, mikra. The word mikra, uh, the English translation is convocation. Again, has a wide range of meanings. And one of the meanings to mikra is rehearsal. Rehearsal. You know, in my seven years, I've been at Trinity seven years, almost seven years, eh? Uh, last weekend, I was at General Assembly and was, was given the, there was a, there's a medallion now for seven years of service. And so I felt really honored. Wow, seven years. But time flies, eh? Time just flies by. And in those seven years, I've had the privilege to do, you know, several weddings. Not my most favorite thing to do, but it's definitely an honor uh, to do. It's so much pressure, you know. Anyways. I won't get into that. <clears throat> I won't get into that. Anyways, uh, but we've done so many. Uh, I've, I've done, you know, several weddings. And every single wedding that we do, there's a rehearsal before the wedding. Every single one. And at the rehearsal, we go over what's going to happen on that great day. Over and over and over again. In anticipation for when the rehearsal will become reality. That's what the feasts are. They're rehearsals. That the Jewish people go, they, 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 they do all that they do over and over and over again. It's a rehearsal for when one day it would ultimately be fulfilled. And ultimately they were fulfilled in Christ's. They are rehearsals, set practices for something coming. Uh, the feasts were also ways to teach our, teach our children about what God has done so that it gets passed from this generation to the next generation to the next generation. Exodus 12, 26 to 27 says, And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses 
of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed down their heads and worshipped. God is a generational God. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Generations. He is the God of our children and our children's children. And so the rehearsal, the feast, these were done so that we can teach the next generation all about the amazing things that God has done so that they too can know with God all things are possible. God did this then. He can certainly do that now. It's a way to pass that knowledge on to the next generation. So last week, Wayne mentioned mentioned again the Passover Seder. And uh, the Passover Seder was the ritual feast that took place uh, just before they had the the big dinner. And it marks the beginning of Passover. And here's a picture of a typical uh, Passover (coughs) cedar plate. Uh, He went through some of the items. I believe he he went through a bit of the items and what you do and how symbolic each of those things are, what they mean. I won't go through all of them. He also mentioned the four cups that accompanied a Seder meal. And uh, this is important to know because Jesus had this something like this when he was with the disciples. He observed Passover. Jesus did. Matthew 26, 28 says this. Jesus said, he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So Jesus observed Passover. He observed the feasts. Now one of the things that happens during the Passover Seder, during this ritual feast, is the breaking of the matzah, or the unleavened bread. And it was during that time that Jesus began to teach how the feast, how this meal is fulfilled in him. Okay? Matthew 26, verse 26 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He didn't take the, this loaf of bread with, you know, like what we have, like a French stick. He took the matzah from the Passover Seder. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And so in the midst of observing Passover, Jesus broke the unleavened bread. Now the interesting thing about the breaking of the matzah, this is still done to this day in the Jewish communities. Uh, They have what is called a unity bag. And this is a picture of a unity bag. They have this at their Passover meals. Very interesting, fascinating when I learned about this. The unity bag has three compartments in it. I didn't have one, and I tried calling the synagogues in town, see if I could borrow one. Nobody answered their phone, man. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to make one out of paper just to show you, okay? Anyways, so three compartments... And they would put three pieces of matzah in these three compartments. The Jewish people do this today. This is how they, this is how they do it. Okay? And depending on who you talk to, there's different reasons for it. Uh, 
some rabbis would say, oh, the three pockets, they represent the, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And, and they have, you know, kind of explanations like that. But it's interesting. I find it fascinating that these, these three compartments can also be symbolic of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know what the interesting thing part, the interesting thing is about the, the, the Jewish custom of the, the unity bag? They take the middle, during the Passover Seder, they take the middle one out and they eat that. And, and they don't really know why. They don't really know why the middle one's taken. But isn't it interesting if it truly did represent Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that the Son, the one that's in the middle, is the one that's taken out to be blessed and eaten? The Jewish people do this to this day. Isn't that fascinating? It's unbelievable. I just, I found that so fascinating. And so Jesus took the matzah. He broke it saying, this is my body. And there are several things about this matzah that are significant. And Wayne mentioned it last week and I'm going to be expanding on it for today. The Jewish people, after the Passover meal, for seven days they ate unleavened bread. And so there's a significance to that, why they do that, and why it's important for us to know too. Okay? For one, matzah was baked without yeast. No leaven. No yeast. And yeast in the Bible represents sin. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, In the meantime... When so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It's interesting. Jesus uses okay, that word, that, that, that picture, leaven, as a symbol for sin. And in this case, it's the sin of hypocrisy that the Pharisees were committing. Leaven is a symbol for sin. And what a great symbol for sin. I mean, leaven or yeast is a powerful thing. Just a little bit of it. Just a little bit of yeast. What it can do to dough. You know, at our home, we like to have pizza night. We try to have pizza night once a week. We usually order out, though. It's just easier, you know. Or we'll just go by Little Caesars, you know, quick, hot and ready. It's ready. You, you, you order it, and it's, it's ready. Isn't that amazing? That's so amazing. So, so nice. Once in a while, I like to be adventurous and make my own pizza from, like from scratch with the dough as well. Okay? So you, you add the, you know, the, the flour, the, the water, the oil, and, and the yeast that's been activated with warm water. You put it in. Isn't it amazing what happens to the dough? You, know, you, you start with a piece of dough like this, you leave it for a little while, it's like, poof. It puffs up, like two times its size. Sometimes even more. It's like, boom, poof. It puffs up. Sin does that as well. Sin puffs us up. That was the devil's sin himself. It, he puffed himself up. Isaiah fourteen thirteen says this. You said in your heart, it's talking about Lucifer, Talking about the enemy. 
You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. Poof, he was puffed up ego. He was puffed up. Sin puffs us up. So leaven is a symbol for the puffing up of sin. And the matzah bread that is without leaven represents something or someone without sin. Isn't that fascinating? Next, the matzah was pierced. There's holes in the matzah. I think Wayne went over this last week too. But they're in stripe formation and there's holes in it. Okay? And the holes, I mean, from a, from a practical perspective, they, they, they puncture holes so that air doesn't puff it up. Right? So any leavening... Anything that puffs up the bread, they have to, you know, watch out for that. So they poke the hole so that the bread remains flat. So there's a reason. There's a strategy behind where there's, why there's holes. But it's interesting how it's pierced with holes. And then you'll also notice on matzah that there's these burn marks because it was baked really quickly. And so the burn marks, the Jewish people to this day, they call it the bruising of the matzah. It's interesting Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. Some translations say he was pierced. It's talking about Jesus, pointing to Jesus. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes. Wow. I, I ordered this. I, actually, this is Wayne's. Wayne gave me a box. King David matzah. Kosher matzah. The Jewish people, this is exactly what they use for Passover. Look at the piercings, the stripes, the bruises. And it's right there. Isaiah 53.5. Isn't that amazing? Wow. To this day, the Jewish people eat this bread and only this bread for seven days after Passover. And so the matzah represents the body of Christ that was pierced, bruised for our sin. The matzah represents the body of Christ which has no leaven. There's no sin. I find that fascinating. <clears throat> so yeah, Jew, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is observed for seven days after the Passover. Exodus twelve fifteen says, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Now, here in this passage, it's making it crystal clear, like very important, how serious sin is. How serious it is to not have a piece of leaven, a piece of yeast. Have you seen like the, the yeast in, in little ball forms? Could you imagine if you weren't allowed to have one teeny little ball in your house? 
How would you clean the house? Making sure, as a Jewish person today, in contemporary uh, today, if you're a Jewish person observing Feast of Unleavened Bread and having to go through your house, clean the house, that's probably where the idea or the word spring cleaning comes from, I think, right? To go through your whole house at this time every year, looking for yeast, even a ball, even one teeny weeny speck of it. It cannot be in your house. And so tradition has it that the father would go around with a feather and a spoon all over the house looking for even a piece of yeast. And, and, and actually, they would hide 10 pieces of yeast around the house. And then, you know, maybe, maybe they do it like this. Hot, cold, cold, hot, hot, burning, burning. There it is. And then they, he would, you know, put the piece of yeast on the, on the spoon and they put it in a bag. Then they burn the bag, okay? Because sin, it's serious. It's a serious thing to deal with. And the Jewish people observe that to this day. And that's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is all about. Showing the seriousness of sin. The consequences of sin. This is where the good news of Jesus Christ comes in. You see, no matter how much we try to live righteous, no matter how much, we will always fall short. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. No matter how much spring cleaning of the soul we do, there is leaven hidden in the deep recesses of our nature. But thanks be to God. He made a way. He made a way for us. And He has been communicating for thousands of years that he was going to make a way. They've been, the Jewish people have been celebrating this for thousands of years, eating this. He's been saying oh, over and over and over and over again, there will come a day where the Son of God will come and he'll, he will deal with sin once and for all. He'll be pierced, wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities. It's coming. John 6, 33 to 35 says this. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And here's where Jesus, boom, fulfills the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. It's so clear. That, that's me. When you're doing this every year for seven days after Passover, you're remembering me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the bread of life who was born in Bethlehem. Isn't that cool? Bethlehem means house of bread. Wow. Jesus is the bread of life. 
He came to fulfill the Feast of Unleavened Bread. To be the one who saves us from our sin once and for all. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. Unleavened bread right there. For our sake, God made Jesus. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a powerful, what a powerful display of God's work in our lives. And what a powerful reminder that the Jewish people have that really it's in our Bibles to to look at. And, and for us today, we can look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread and say it's been fulfilled in Jesus. And so if we were to take some time and just observe with unleavened bread and, and focus on how, it, how this feast is fulfilled in Jesus, man, it brings to life some of these things that Jesus says about himself. I am the bread of life. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, he, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It brings things to life even more. How awesome is that? How amazing is that? That God made a way for all our sin, all our junk could be dealt with. That he took the pain, he took the punishment, he took it for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. That's just, wow. That's amazing grace. So at this time, I would just want us to take a moment. We've got some time here to reflect. I'm going to ask Andrea to come. She's going to play something softly so that we can just reflect. Let's just take a moment now. Let's uh, close our eyes. Just bow our heads for a moment.